Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws, but really, this is about stories, so let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. And today's guest, who will share the stories behind their musical memories, is one of the most pioneering Irish businesswomen of recent years, Bree Jo Dunhu. She's been a key player behind the global success of the retail giant Primark Pennies, which has hundreds of stores now across Europe and the US, employing tens of thousands of people. She's been a board member at state companies, including on Poste Rienta, was chair of the Labour Relations Commission, chair of the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland. A packed life, Bridge O'Donoghue. It all began in Boston, County Clare. Tell us about those early days. You know, growing up in rural Ireland, really on the boards of Clare and Galway, my earliest childhood memory was the Arctic freeze of blizzards and snowdrifts which gripped Ireland from January 1947 for a whole three months. Our farm was both idyllic and hard work, watching the cows being milked, feeding the calves, and the sick lambs from the baby's bottle. In fact, rounding up and milking my 19 goats before going to school. And I remember their names like yesterday. They were Lampkin and Lyca and Luca and Lupin and Lala and Holly. But my favourite was a nugly, scraggy, hairy goat with threatening horns and a cross face. We called her Molly. And my mother wasn't happy because that was her name. So, you know, my mother had great influence in the family. She was independent and strong-minded. My parents certainly strong wish was to ensure we had the best education possible. So I was sent away from home to Gort as there were no transport links. And it was there with the, at the Sisters of Mercy that I acquired my secondary edu- education. Um, career guidance, of course, didn't feature. Uh, the closest was that Reverend Mother's visits to try and coax me to enter the order to no avail. Uh, I think about the 60s, you know, many memories. It was about pop music, long hair, psychedelic dress. Much, I have to say, passed me by because I was busy at that stage in the world of work. The tone was also set by the international student protests in Prague and in Paris, the civil rights marches in the US, where Martin Luther King supporters sang, We Shall Overcome. There's a lot there in that now. And your first musical choice for the programme, Bridge, goes back to, was it listening to the radio as a youngster at home, the Waltons? Yeah, very much so. And I, I suppose that no, nobody over 60 would ever forget the Waltons programme with the inimitable voice of Leah Maguire, it ran from 1950 to 1981 and it graced Ireland's dinner in the middle of the day. And yes, it brings back the childhood memories. It was one of a group of sponsored programmes, very appropriate in this case, sponsored by the Waltons Music Shop and Music School. The presenter, Leo, was the quintessential dub, a liberties man, with a fondness for opera and ballads and a noted composer in his own right. Maybe not well known, but he wrote Dublin Can Be Heaven and indeed the whistling gypsy. However, his refrain was, if you must sing a song, sing, sing an Irish, Irish song. And you see, young people listening won't remember, Bridge, that there were sponsored programmes. So they were kind of, what, 15-minute slots? and and Absolutely, generally in the middle of the day. 
And, you know, the catchphrase was repeated at the beginning, the middle and the end of his programme. And that's the one if you want. If you must sing a song, sing an Irish song. And that is certainly lodged in my brain. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. When you went to secondary school in Gort, did you miss home or did you settle into Gort okay? Well, I think, of course, I missed home. But, you know, I settled in because... I enjoyed the schooling and I enjoyed the I enjoyed going to school. It was interesting that going to secondary edu- school was a, a privilege not known to all from my parish and too few nationally. Mm. You know, I followed a curriculum that was academic with an absence of technical subjects, a low priority in the sciences, and a privileged position was given to religious education and Guelga. So it was a a curriculum designed to produce intellectually vigorous individuals, which some might find difficult to reconcile with the subservient disposition widespread among us Irish of that, of that era. However, I would say I acquired a firm foundation, you know, with the Sisters of Mercy, yeah. for which I'm truly grateful. And Breege, you, your family weren't in a position to pay for you to go to college then after that? No, no. And I did have the aspiration to do so, uh, but I didn't realise that until many years later. I entered the world of work. Luckily, it was into a growing Irish economy and found myself in the Great Southern Hotels Group. And, you know, I remember with great pride my first wage packet with my name on it. So I spent 17 years there, including a three-year break from 1960, late 63 onwards, which I spent working in Switzerland and Germany. And this provided me with a love of diversity, culture and language. And as you know, in Switzerland, they speak four languages belonging to four diverse cultures. Uh, and that was a very important part of my life. And I subsequently uh, remained with the group in, in a variety of roles and also was a member of the Shannon College Hotel Management and indeed was chair of the board for about eight years. But when, when you were a young woman, Bridge, working in, in, in Galway, was, was it a fun time for you? Um, you know, we were working extremely hard, I suppose you might say, but also... There was a great feel around the 60s. It was a growing economy. I think Galway such being a lovely city, lots of opportunities with tourism, with industry and with, with transport. So for me, for a period of time, of course, I was only a couple of years in Galway altogether mm-hmm. because I spent a lot of my time, you know, in, in, in uh, Kerry, um, where I was responsible for the subsequently the accounting function of five hotels. I managed the Bondor and Great Southern and I ran schools during the training schools during the winter for the Great Southern Group and particularly for the Russell Court in Belfast, which was a, a five-star hotel, which um, was opening about that time. Mm. But Galway, um, given your musical choice, clearly has a place in your heart because you've selected Galway Bay. Indeed, choosing Galway Bay is, is easy because the lyrics and sentiment resonate for me and with me in my rural childhood. As I've already said, I grew up, you know, grew, grew, growing up in the farm. And then I had another reason that uh, my late husband was James O'Dee, a man from Belclare in Chum County, Galway. And at six years of age, he came to Dublin to live in Fitzwilliam Square because he's, his father came part of the veterinary teaching staff, so to speak. And he really hated Dublin. He could not get used to the city having missed, surrounded by big fields. 
so it was also, you know, I remember him singing this song very much at family weddings. It was one of his, it was one of several of his signature tunes. And it also said, as I'm not alone in liking this song, and that has been recorded so many times, including the Dubliners, Clancy Brothers, or indeed Bing Crosby, all adding their own grace and interpretation to it. In fact, it was both Bing Crosby and the film Quiet Man that at one time made it the highest selling record of its time. It was written in 1947 you know, and made famous by Bing. The story of who wrote Galway Bay is moving. Uh, the creator was a quiet doctor named Dr. Arthur Cullen, and he was born in Ireland. He died in England and he was buried in an unmarked grave in his beloved Irish homeland. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Go Away Bay, the choice of today's guest, businesswoman Breja Dunhill. Now, Breja, I have to bring you to talk to you about the extraordinary success that Primark and Penny's had, and you were one of the key figures in broadening it out. And it was a very different company now to the one you joined. Well, when I joined it, you know, joined it in October, the final day of Pope John Paul's visit to Ireland, um, and I had 37 more glorious years and I do continue to do some project work for Primark. So in Primark you'd say I was a member of the well-documented Primark gang of four, but Des, as the kids say about Irish college, what happens in the Gaeltic stays in the Gaeltic. <laughs> and that's a maxim I'm going to follow on this occasion. But you know, my career spanned many high level of activities on people in culture, commercial and business development, with particular involvement internationally. And among other things, I, with others, have been instrumental in leading Primark entry into the U.S. market in uh, 2015. I think the story of Primark, you know, has yet to be told. Its vision, customer experiences, international expansion, and particularly its business model. But father. I, I know it is, but, but, but briefly, I mean, for you... You were involved in, in this broadening the US, as you mentioned, and Europe. I mean, that was a big, brave move to be going into Europe. Was it a massive risk? Well, you know, I'd say entering into the UK in the 70s was a major deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Primark now enjoys number one volume share in Ireland, Spain and Portugal. Competing with world brands in Europe and the US, um, you know, w- was also very challenging. But, you know, Primark was eagerly awaited by the people, the authorities in Europe with whom Primark collaborated. They welcomed Primark with open arms. The property developers seek Primark out. High street and and shopping centre management view Primark as an important vehicle to deliver an exciting shopping environment. Primark has price leadership in every market. And today, you know, I'm wearing my 100% linen suit from Primark, which you know, cost less than 30 euro. And I'm absolutely satisfied that that was made by workers who are paid properly, who are treated properly. And yes, I've been in many of these these factories to see that for myself, be that in, in China, in, in, in India, in Bangladesh. Yeah, you've said that's a very important issue for you, ethics in business. It is. Hugely, uh, it's hugely important in terms of, uh, you know, ensuring that uh, people are treated properly. And in terms on the Primark side, you know, the uh, in terms of the suppliers, obviously, are bound by uh, a code of conduct in order to do business. There's absolutely there's a team of people in each of the in each of the locations who are involved in ensuring 
that the conditions are abided by, whether that's in terms of pay, the hours that they work, uh, the cafes or what they might have, the and and their benefits. And last year, they'll be close to having 3,000 audits to ensure that that, uh, that that is all abided by. Now, amongst all its business success, uh, you were very involved in, in the Jack Charlton era and one of the songs that you've chosen, the team that Jack, that Jack built, kind of brings back fond memories of, of, of the World Cup and Italian 90 and all the excitement and drama around it. Indeed it does, indeed it does, because, you know, we were involved in sponsorship, but we were involved in terms of charities, particularly the Crumlin Hospital, our charities fronted by the man himself and a great friend, Mick McCarthy, Captain Fantastic, uh, where we had walks, we had cycles, we had his books, and most of all, you know, we had this record. Uh, now, it was a very, very exciting time. You know, the fact that Ireland had made it to 1990 World Cup in Italy with three draws against the group stage in terms of England, Egypt and the Netherlands. And, you know, the whole nation watched as we beat Romania in Genoa that with Paki making a vital save and Dave O'Leary scoring the decisive sport kick. And then, of course, Ireland was beaten by the hosts, as we know, on the quarterfinal in Stadio Olimpica in Rome. And Jack Charlton, of course, leading the team, he was, he was like a pop star. And indeed, he, had an, he and the team had an audience uh, with the Pope uh, at that time. In terms of the road to Italy, it was hugely exciting. And there was this particular, the team that Jack built, otherwise known as the Penny Song, we actually sold 260,000 of it as the proceeds were for charity. And you could not get in one door of pennies without one and you couldn't get out the other door without buying another. <laughs> now, the employees had league tables. Uh, so there were many, many prizes going, whether it was, of course, the principal one was the one that for the quarterfinal. And I recall on a Saturday evening that the tables would be faxed in to see who had the most sales, other things being equal. And indeed, it will tell you about the spirit. I do recall for, for that game also, uh, remember in, in Mary Street, we had four really guys who were fanatic about football. They hadn't won any particular prize. So they I'd call them, they were in my call them into my office and I sat them down around the table and I'd set out little pink charters and pink pencils like for your six year old. <laughs> and I said, guys, I really have a problem. I've only got one ticket and the only thing I can do is to give you a test. So I said, my little test now today is to spell Scalacci. <laughs> so now, of course, I had four tickets. That was yeah. a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> and anyway, the other thing about this song, I do remember it being on the late, late. And the singers were Alma, Alma Carroll of Eurovision fame, Maxie, Tony Ward and Jimmy McGee. And before it was about to be sung, a colleague of mine, Lee Farrell and myself, entered the studio with Ouija boards with the, with, with the words on it. And you, you could have seen the frenzied reaction of the audience. So the celebrities continued to started to sing the song. And I still recall that Jimmy McGee was off tune by four words. He was on a different line to the others. <laughs> So, you know, it was oh, it was just such an amazing, it was truly a wonderful time, huge spirit. Uh, you know, I wonder whether now following COVID, whether the government could do something like that, could host an important event, be it culture, be it design, be it art, be it literature, be it music, 
to bring us back to those what were just amazing, amazing days that inspired the Irish, that energised the Irish uh, in every sense. It reminded me when Pope John Paul II was uh, in, back in that, that I've already referred to was in Ireland. It was a time that nothing nothing couldn't be done. Everything could be done, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I recall many of our employees attending those matches. I'd have had phone calls to say, well, Bridge, I'm short of money. Can you help? Or indeed others saying, you know, I'm staying on a couple of days. So-and-so will cover for me. So it was just one of those wonderful, wonderful moments edged in my mind. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's the team that Jack built, the choice of today's guest, businesswoman Breege O'Donoghue. And Breege, your life has been so broad. I mean, chair of the Labour Relations Committee, chair of the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland. And I know that means a lot to you. Enjoy very much what I do. I think I've been very fortunate and been fulfilled right throughout my, right throughout my career. And I think I have the, the good fortune also to be involved both in public and private enterprise. Presently, I chair three boards and I sit on uh, two others uh, as a non-exec. And also I, I do a certain, certain amount of voluntary work, particularly mentoring young women in business. You know, you get out of life what you put into it. Uh, and that for me, I'm sure I get more out of more from all of those businesses than I give. But did you find it difficult? I mean, there weren't many women leading the way in business in your early days. There were very few. No, I, I, I can't say that I did. I think I all of my career I worked with an enlightened team. Uh, in Primark, we were expanding, you know, going into different countries, you know, business now in 12 countries, lots of opportunities for people, exciting environment, lots of uh, promotions. And also I'd say, you know, during my working years, there have been many positive advances for women and others, you know, in terms of equal pay, improvement in the status of women, equality recognised and discrimination on the basis of sex, race or otherwise, you know, all unacceptable in principle. You know, so that was very interest, interesting time and I'm delighted to be part of it. Indeed, well, it's an extraordinary life. And your final song probably reflects all of that. Frank Sinatra, My Way. Yes, I, you know, another memory that I have. 1974, Madison Square Gardens. Frank Sinatra introduced the song as the national anthem. Uh, and, you know, for me, I like the words of it, you know, when I would say, yes, I did what I had to do. Yes, there were times I bit off the more I could chew. And through all of these experiences, I grew tall. Um, but I do think the most important thing in, you know, my own life has been if I were to unpack my values, pride of place would rightly belong to my home and my parents. Uh, respect for self and others, honesty, a work ethic, a labourer being worthy of his hire as in fair day's pay for a fair day's work, which is like the spirit of Mehel. Uh, you know, and overlapping with that too would be the tenets of my religious and educational upbringing. You know, such values that have been absorbed and modelled for my home, place of education, and the ethics and values of the institution that is UCD, you know, which was really underpinned by the vision of its founder, now St. John Newman, and which when he said growth is the only evidence of life. Well, that's a nice way to play us out. Bridget, on who you've had an extraordinarily successful life and a fascinating life. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.